It's a deeply confounding experience, all of this. Uh, oh, sorry, when are, when are we, when are we going to get started with recording? Uh, kind of already, but also not. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. No, that's cool. I, I, uh, I try and do, like, cold opens, and the only best way to do a cold open is to do it really cold, like, properly uh, method acted, the whole thing. So um, yeah. we'll... <laughs> We'll, uh, well, I'll edit some of that into the cold open. Then I'll. Um, I was waiting for a point to like say we're going to do the um, the intro right now, but you've done that, so you, apparently it's your show now. And, I uh, apologize, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm used good. to it's, just it's your show. So yeah, it's just, what else should we do, yeah. sir? <laughs> um, welcome to Anime Corner. Welcome oh, to uh, Lagnus <laughs> Anime Corner, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Today well, we're talking about anime. <laughs> we all never okay, talk I, about I signed anime. on. I signed on to read some piece of shit reactionary novel. I will not debase myself by with talking about anime. Yeah, anime. <laughs> this is politically adjacent to Hitler. Anime was literally <laughs> created by Hitler. So it's true. yeah, anime it's, it's true. is Hitler's clone son. Yeah. This is Death Sentence, and it's not about anime, it's not <laughs> even that much about metal sometimes, it's mostly about books, and we've got with us, uh, back from his uh, sojourn to um, rid himself of his addiction to anime, is Langdon, and <laughs> joining us from the Toilet of Hell podcast, literally the only good metal podcast in the entire world. Is Joe Fresh and Kill? Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I. The only reason that we're the only good podcast is because like the bar for being acceptable is so so low. Yeah, I was gonna say it, but you know, it's kind of true. It's a pretty easy bar to pass. Yeah. you yeah. pass it amply, but also the the bar is low. Oh yeah, I mean, it's not like yeah. And so uh, normally you can all say it. We've we've got a lot of we've got a lot of chuds in our scene. That's just sad. Yeah, it's all sad. People who are just really bad at podcasting, which is most of them. Uh, like I've yeah, uh, literally never heard another good one. Like Death Metal Dads is good sometimes because that guy from Agalock is pretty funny sometimes, but mostly it's just him talking about his friends. It's like it's like it's like I've wiretapped. The dude from Agalock. but um, we uh, yeah, with with the Toilet of Hell podcast, which we try to tell a story every week, and that story is that we're so much smarter than uh, everybody else around us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, it's true. That's why the story works. 
But but what kills me? It, it's funny that you you invited me to do this because I wouldn't consider myself a a literary or intelligent man in any way. Um, the yeah, last same. novel that I the last novel that I read and what kept me off of reading novels for many years uh, until I read this one, which was. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, really baby. Um, <laughs> but this is what all novels are like now. Yeah. Was, I, the last one I read was Ready Player One, which. Oh, um, oh. Jeez. Yeah. Ouch. Like and that was an extremely bad book. Um, oh, yeah. it, so it, it was great to go back into the novel experience and get another taste of just this horrible cliched stilted action sequence and writing like it was, it was it's fun it's a lot of fun oh yeah yeah i'm really evangelizing for literature as a form by making you read this <laughs> no books are different from those those are the two kinds of books there's ready player one and trigger warning which is the book of uh discussion today by uh uh j.a i forget his last name already john stone Johnstone. I didn't care to remember it because I hate him. Um. <laughs> yeah. And, well, it's J. Johnstone and his... Um, dead uncle. <laughs> dead uncle. <laughs> his uncle who has been moldering in the grave in Knoxville, Tennessee, <laughs> since literally 2004. Uh, yeah, but nobody needs to know that. Like, you can just go ahead and put the name on the cover and it's fine. It's, it's like... It, so this is uh so J. A. Gold's or uh, John Stone's uh, uncle William Johnstone is well known for being a uh, a western writer in the mid twentieth century wrote tons and tons of westerns for the uh, the top but if you were reading westerns you would run into him very quickly um, given that it's twenty eighteen the people who are big into reading westerns are all set uh, but. It's a genre with a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, Cormac McCarthy is the most celebrated in the late 20th century by literary folk, but there's just an Asian to deep well. Excellent writing there. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, William Johnstone uh, got owned uh, and is now peacefully dead forever. Uh, his nephew doesn't know that though on account of the brain poisoning so he credits his <laughs> uncle on on every book that he writes as at least being a co-author which is mysterious <laughs> <laughs> I, I got excited uh when i when i when i heard that um william johnson had died because i just assumed that he got so mad while writing this book and imagining all of these horrible libs that he gave himself a heart attack and died uh, unfortunately, that was not hey, hey. the case. No, he he died he like. himself. Right yeah, I think he died like when he foresaw Barack Obama become president or something, and just like mm. one of them. Uh oh, I'm checking out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. probably yeah. accurate. Yeah. What's, it's strange because it's not like William Johnstone is a brand in the same way that so like. The same kind of thing happened with uh, Tom Clancy, another kind of classic uh, chud author, um, who wrote a lot of seminal work, but it's not seminal necessarily because of, because of influence um, on the genre and the form. Who, like Tom Clancy died, I think, also a decade and a half ago, something like that. But his name keeps getting put on stuff. But that's okay because people just kind of assumed that he died even before then. Um, like... <laughs> The notion of Tom Clancy is a specific man that you could have actually met 
stopped being tangible to people at a certain point, and he's just the Ghost Recon guy. Like, Splinter Cell is a Tom Clancy uh, property for some reason. I mean, I, I I feel like Tom Clancy is a is an actual entity existed at some point because I've got a vision in my head of some guy in aviators with like a baseball cap, and I feel like that's the only image of him that ever went out. I, I he also sold out have the Simpsons. That in my head, but, yeah, because we also went on I'm, that one episode of Simpsons where he needs to go to a literary festival. I can't oh, tell right. whether the guy I'm imagining in my head though is. Hunter S. Thompson or Dale Gribble, though, because they all—they're all, they're all <laughs> yeah. one guy in my they, brain. He's—he's he's the square Hunter S. Thompson and the um, less brainwormed Dale Gribble. <laughs> but what? Okay, so let's let's uh, summarize for the folks at home this abortion of a book. What is trigger warning about? <laughs> Um, uh, it's uh, Die Hard for Chuds. Will kill you. Yeah, it is Die Hard for Chuds. That's that's the yeah. one sentence one. And it, it lets uh, you know that too. It it references Die Hard about four times. Yeah. It also is. I would I would say a weird point of comparison is the uh, the Illuminatus trilogy also for squares. Uh, what, what is the play. what is the Illuminatus trilogy? Oh, so it's a, a short version of that. It, one, it's my favorite book of all time because I have brainworms. Um, but it's just this uh, very big kaleidoscopic novel that combines like Joycean prose with like a detective novel with sort of gonzo psychedelic literature with like a little bit of uh, occult fiction and occult grimoire. There's some socialist fiction. There's a bit of a campus novel in it, things like that. And uh, so big, big kaleidoscope of styles and forms, um, and the main thrust is that every single conspiracy is real and is being executed simultaneously. And then dive, as the premise, and then it dives into that for how does this resolve, where does it come from, and it's a a big, wacky, fun novel with also some cool thoughts in it. And this is that, except instead of all the conspiracies being like the Knights Templar and Atlantis and uh, like ancient scripts and whatnot, it's uh, school shooters, jihadists, and Antifa uh, all team up. (laughs) It, It is worth noting that there are literal Antifa super soldiers in this book. Like everybody... Yeah, everybody knows the joke that um, Crank T. Nelson put up on Twitter about that, that uh, fooled all of the, the right-wing sphere, but uh, it's, it's, it's real in this book, man. Yeah. There's a, a reference early on to how Antifa is like 90% um, weak college kids who eat lots of soy and 10% like shady operatives who are there to like- do the real work. Like ex mercenaries and special ops troops, which but, it presents it, like a, a, a fantastic riddle. Why does he think that they would join Antifa? I don't. I he says it's because of the um, uh, all those left wing billionaires and all their money, which I don't. 
like I, I, I every sentence my brain stops and I'm like, those aren't real. You don't become a billionaire if you're a leftist. Uh, George, they're, they're Soros, a George Soros, though. It's George That's Soros. George and Soros all the brackets there. around his name. Yeah, he's, there he's, are so many so many references to to billionaires in this book, and I feel like he's on the cusp of understanding something, just falling ass backwards into uh, into conspiracy theory land instead of like what really needs to be addressed. Because uh, how many billionaires would you say are in this book? There's the uncle. There's whoever's right. funding um, the uh, baddies. There's. Uh, I think um, Pierce is uh, the um, the main character's one cool black friend. He's a billion, his parents are billionaires, um, yeah. so there's at least three. So that's about um, what, uh, what percentage of billionaires in the world are just named characters in this book? Because there's like less than a hundred billionaires in the world. So yeah, there's about like what five percent of the billionaires in this in the world are in this book. So, sounds about right. Yeah, that's that's. A fair chunk of billionaires, and a there's lot of many, 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 many more on this campus. Apparently, they all go here to the, to a small liberal arts college in the Texas Hills, and not say Yale or Oxford or the Sorbonne. I guess I guess I can I can go ahead and chime in here. I'm from Texas. I live in the, the this area that's referenced in this book. There is like one liberal arts school out there, and it's a Christian school. So. Sorry, <laughs> that that makes sense. That checks out from what I know about Tejas, uh, the uh, uh, proper name of uh, of of the Lone Star State. That's the oh, yeah, name. Woke. That's it. Yeah, I, I am. I'm fully an advocate for Texas rejoining Mexico. By the way, I think that that's the the future of Tejas. That would be very lit. I think. I think that that would be quite lit. There'd be a moment of pure panic, and uh, that would be tight from the outside. I don't live in Texas, so I would get to just enjoy it. <laughs> I would hope there would be some tight live streams. Yeah, I, I live in uh, mostly, I would say it's 95% Mexican neighborhood, except for the the one racist piece of shit that lives right next to me who hates it. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I mostly... I mostly... Up every day. Yeah, I just want to own that guy mostly. <laughs> uh, it's it, I so to to go back to your point, Joe. I think that's the thing that the weirdly compe- okay. So, admittedly, the first weirdly compelling thing about this book is that uh, he presents it as a nightmare, but the world he's created is fucking lit. Like Antifa <laughs> is everywhere, and they're constantly fighting you. <laughs> yeah. like, they like. like- there would be no Nazis in this world. Every one of them would get his ass kicked the moment he went outdoors. Just get like, like jumped Antifa. by ten guys. Like Antifa is treated. Yeah, they're they're treated as like um, Nazi. Oh, sorry, ninjas in an eighties movie. They just appear out of the shadows with uh, nunchucks and kick ass, and then yell <laughs> about sure microaggressions and. Right <laughs> <laughs> they just cut the head off of a Nazi with a single well-thrown shuriken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so outside of that, which is just straight fucking baller, um, the other thing is that, like, he's so almost there politically. He, Like, you can see it. 
it's it's not right next to him, but you're like if he makes like one or two other little insights, it'll all come together and he'll see the and then then he then he distracts himself and he he totally forgets his train of thought. Like at one point after after Antifa uh tries and fails to defeat this uh army marine seal uh <laughs> <laughs> he has a bizarre and impossible set of special ops training at the age of like twenty. Um, uh, oh, also, he's canonically hot, according mm-hmm. to the oh, yeah. novel. He's, he's a six foot four, two hundred fifty pound bear of a man. <laughs> true bear Whoa, man. from the book. <laughs> uh, is uh, the cops roll up? And he's like, oh, thank God the cops are here. And the cops just immediately go, he's resisting arrest, tase him. And then just immediately tase the guy, which, um, and then like he, he even starts to go into, um, the overuse of police force and police brutality and how it's often preemptive and often quite cowardly, uh, and built on. And so it's like, oh, he's almost there. And then he's like, and they're all in the pocket of liberal billionaires. And it's like, what? And then he just moves on and he just never goes back. And you're like, how did, how do you get to the point where you're aware of police brutality as a thing and excessive use of force? And then you're I, like, it's cause I'm, it's because I'm conservative. So the, the the person you're referencing, Cal Granderson, I think is by far the most interesting character introduced oh, easily, in, yeah. in the novel. Uh, because you ha- it's, he's a, uh, a <laughs> campus cop. He doesn't get to carry a real gun. He has a stun gun. Uh, and he was raised by his revolutionary grandmother. So he is extremely leftist. But he is a cop uh, because I think he wanted to make some kind of positive change, but also like have a sliver of authority. And like I, I can kind of get it. Like I've had moments where I'm just miserable at my job and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to become a cop and I'm going to be a force for good. I'm going to completely reform the entire police department. And then I think, oh, yeah, what about like Serpico? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I almost did that with MI5 at one point when I was uh, coming out of college. I got yeah. Free- yeah, I got through uh, three or five um, rounds of their interviews, of their, like, assessment process. So, you know, in another reality, I was literally a spy. But uh, not in this one. Because, so, yeah, I think a lot of people have that idea that they'll join, like, the army or something, and they'll be the one good guy, and they'll be the one to stop, like, the massacre or something. But it will never work out. Yeah, it's like... Sometimes it works, but the odds game is very much played against you. Otherwise, we would see it more often. Because, like, if we're honest, the types of people that... uh, And this comes up in better leftist rhetoric. A lot of the people who wind up joining, especially at a very young age, things like the military or the police, often do so either for uh, economic frustrations of, like, feeling like they have no way to pay for college, no way to pay for their future in an increasingly dim world, or are led by the nose, by their own idealism, by people older than them manipulating them. And then you just wind up in a position. Um, but that, but yeah, then then a lot of times they become shady people as adults. So then it's like, ah, yep. yeah! <laughs> like, I, guess I was so it, close to being sympathetic to you! <laughs> 
the the character is is not new you know just spoiler the character is not explored deeply enough for my taste in this book because the book is about uh, our our, our ubermensch hero uh, Jake Rivers hmm. um, and, and he, all, all the other characters standing around going where's Jake Rivers why he's not come and fix things yet it's a, it's a sign of a good novel when everybody oh, can't yeah. stop talking about the protagonist whenever yeah, Poochie's off screen everyone should be asking where's Poochie <laughs> A character that's so hot that the only thought that uh, his leftist professors can have is, you know, I'm willing to change my whole worldview just to fuck him. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump out ahead, but can we please talk about Doctor Matumbo? Oh, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna get to Doctor Matumbo. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's yeah. Okay, so Doctor Matumbo is white. His real name is what Doctor Saint French, but he uh, in like, Mont- yeah, something like that. And he um, he identifies as African American. Therefore, he has chosen the name Matumbo. And this is just this is what you get when you absorb all your information through Facebook boomer memes, which Jay Johnson seems to have done to construct this book. You come out thinking, well, if people can identify as their gender, whichever gender they want, then maybe they can identify as any race they want, and maybe they do that already, and maybe it isn't literally just Rachel Dalziel or whatever her name was. Out of all of human history, that one woman has decided to be black, but apparently this is a thing that normal people do loads of times, and that's one of his many like really weak, easily refuted swipes at the left. Which had just peppered this book. It's I I have a weird love for this book, but it has to be treated like. So I'm going to pitch this novel as not what it is, but how you uh, because to tap into this thought, a lot of reading and a lot of bad social criticism of art in general, actually. So zoom in way far back is premised on the notion that art has an essential nature and our job as critics is to uh, unveil and declutter the essential nature and present that to an audience as good or bad, valuable or or non-valuable, things like that. And that serious critics don't really do that um, because the notion of a work having an inherent politics or an inherent thought outside of an audience engaging with that doesn't really work because a book left alone will not enact fascism. It takes people to do that, and they may interact with it and internalize gross, awful thoughts from it and then act on those and do bad things. But similar people may pick it up and go, oh, this reaffirms all the things that I hate, and now I hate them even more. And then the question gets raised of, if a book makes you spurn hatred and bigotry more, can you say that, the book had a bigoted effect since it increased your anti-bigotry sentiments. And so tapping into that, tapping into that, this book is a Tim and Eric novel based on (laughs) right-wing memes. Yeah. Yeah. Red is parody. Red is parody. This is perfect. This this is owning the non-libs by just showing them what they're (laughs) 
<laughs> what their worldview would actually look like if it was like Ruddin, if it wasn't just a bunch of memes, if it was like <laughs> an actual narrative that had a beginning, middle, and end, what would it come out as? It would come out as bullshit, and nothing would make sense, and it would correspond to the real world in no way whatsoever. So, like, Raptor Island 2, Return to Raptor Island, the sci-fi original masterpiece film. Trigger Warning by J.A. Uh, John Stone. There, that's it. That's that's my pitch. That's that's yeah. this book. It's just, what if Return to Raptor Island was actually uh, uh, Libapocalypse? Libapocalypse? I, I think it's entirely possible possible for this book to have been kind of like you could have removed uh the the political bent pretty easily probably if you control f this book and remove like democrats liberals safe spaces snowflakes and antifa and just replace it with like the germans uh you could have probably made a you know a, a not good but competent enough uh, adventure novel uh, that you know deeply uh, ripped off Die Hard um, because there's there's just little moments in here where the action is is going along and then there's a parenthesis that just has to punctuate. By the way, this is the fault of the Democrats. Yeah, people um, are constantly remembering how this relates to uh, campus politically correct politics and. So, yeah, it's they're constantly interrupting themselves just to just to remind you guys that Hillary Clinton I, and Nancy Pelosi are probably responsible for this. I, I love the fucking fascinating mystery that these people have. Where one, they think that uh, campus politics has ever not been a more extreme version of non-campus politics um, in terms of being much more vocal. And it's like, have you ever been to a college ever? Um, or seen one there that's that's the running theme um and two that they somehow think that i mean even now if anything our frustration as leftists is not enough of the stuff is porting over into the real world in a uh robust and mature way that there is a lot of lacking intersection that complicates or fleshes out certain things either damning people further or going no there's we need to approach this from a specific angle and somehow somehow uh right wingers and baby boomers have decided that because college people have gained access to the internet and now can talk to each other that this means that we are going to uh suddenly make our uh our our campus president uh like the new Robespierre? I oh, I love it. I win. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's all you know. Everything about conservatism is, is telling on yourself. So when <laughs> uh, when when conservatives fear that there's a, a rise of net, you know, like a network of underground radicals within college campuses indoctrinating children, I mean, it's just basically telling on yourself that you've created this vast network with untraceable money. Uh, promoting um, th- these horrible uh, sites and news channels and personalities and meme networks and Facebook groups and just everything that feeds into uh, a baby boomer's fear of death. Um, I-, I don't know about you. I-, I haven't been to college in a number of years. I graduated in like uh, 
2009, something like that. Uh, and I went to a school, uh, I guess, that is ostensibly liberal. Uh, but my engagements with the curriculum and with most of the other students was overwhelmingly right wing. Um, that was kind of the nature of the campus I was on at a big, yeah. big state school. So much worse nowadays. Like there, there was no alt right at that point. There's like your conservatives would have been conservatives. They wouldn't have been like actual Nazis or just like stupid irony meme frog Nazis. Or if they were Nazis, they were the same kind of like uh, mid nineties to late two thousands, like dorm dwellers or things like that. It, it was it was pretty similar. I remember. I, I think. One of my my fondest memories of uh, college was getting kicked out of uh, my Spanish four class because um, this this uh, these these fucking asshole uh, Sperry wearing chuds interrupted the lecture that was talking about like Latin American politics, uh, like and uh, Che Guevara's motorcycle diaries, like basically learning the history and like how to sp- speak all this shit in Spanish, and they they were yelling and would not allow the professor to continue. Uh, because they would not stand for this leftist, indoc- leftist indoctrination talking about Che Guevara's life. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm a pretty quiet person in real life, but I, you know, told these people in uncertain terms that they can take their bullshit and stick it up their assholes and uh, got removed from the classroom uh, immediately. Um, but well, you uh, did the right thing. And they'll die someday. Were you taken to the campus police? And if so, did they tell you that you're actually really awesome and cool, but they, because of the rules of the campus, they have to, um, <laughs> like, uh, expel you or something? Did they give you, like, yeah. a, um, you destroyed 16 squad cars kind of uh, talk? Because <laughs> uh, Jake yeah. Rivers gets about three of those. Yeah. They, they gave me a stun gun for, for my efforts, which oh, I thought nice. was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Do you do you want to start with like the very beginning of this thing because it's well, this is just such. Uh, ostensibly, uh, there is also metal in here, and that's true. I've I've lost it. I play and lost it. Give me two seconds. I'll, you I'll, can't I'll... do that to metal. You have you have to respect it. You have to respect metal. <laughs> nah. I'm gonna start crying. <laughs> I, well, I hope you do. Um, the rest of the podcast is going to be my loud wails. <laughs> You've been, have you been triggered? Uh, by disrespect to metal? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Okay, well. <laughs> damn it, where was it? It was called um, Neckbeard something. Uh, Neckbeard Death Camp. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is Neckbeard Death Camp. They are from Bordeaux in France. They have an album called White Nationalism is for Basement Dwelling Losers. And this is the song, The Left is Are the Real Fascists. Because it just goes together with the whole thing beautifully. Uh, you can find it on Bandcamp, but probably literally nowhere else, because this is like a joke metal project, but still good. Kind of like Anal Trump. So here's The Left are the Real Fascists.
that was the left that are real fascists by Neckbeard Death Camp. And um, I, I really want to like get one of their t-shirts, but it's kind of got like a peppy on it, and I think people will get like maybe they take it the wrong way. But yeah, they're fedora crushing militant black metal, and That's I'm lit. and I'm here for it. So let's go back into um, the world of trigger warning. Let's get back onto a Poon <laughs> campus, and so real basic synopsis yet yeah, it's, it's die hard on a college campus except die hard like the plot starts about 20 minutes in and then there's action and awesome and one-liners but this the, you're literally about 200 pages in before the the plot actually starts and a bunch of stuff that was promised in the jacket copy doesn't really happen and um the, the first hundred couple hundred pages are just establishing the main character, Jake Rivers, an army marine, special operator, <laughs> a bear of a man, uh, as super awesome by having him go... 40 f- pounds of all cock, baby. <laughs> yeah, uncut, <laughs> thick, veiny, frobbed American manhood. Uh, and it establishes this, like, murder twink as... Um, awesome by having him do this like groundhog day repetition of the same cycle of getting his ass handed to him by antifa going to the uh campus security office where the um grizzled campus security chief says he blew up 16 squad cars they were a day away from retirement and he's a magnificent bastard etc then he goes to the principal's office or sorry the dean he meets with a crusty old dean who dean uh, tells, Wormer. yep who tells a, him is it animal house reference yeah yeah well i mean like this his interactions with the uh, the administration is essentially uh, a, a combination of animal house and back to school with rodney dangerfield um and that uh, they they keep telling him he's got to tone down his uh his crazy uh right wing ways and he's like no dean this is party house yeah, yeah, and but he's got no friends. So, <laughs> That's true. I mean, Animal House—they were a frat. There was a bunch of them. This guy has literally no friends because he's awful. He's—he's he's actually just an asshole. I mean, he's a jerk to be around. Every he talks single... about how he doesn't like to interact with anyone that he's around, even in superficial ways. Which is like, dude, I have to interact with right wingers where I work because that's what being like a coworker and customer management figure is like, what the fuck? (laughs) No, I live in my room. My politics demands me that I be alone. I suppose that his, you know, antisocial behavior might have something to do with spending eight years murdering Iraqis. But I mean, that's true. He might be dealing with deep, deep PTSD and uh, guilt. I'd hope so, but apparently Way yeah. down. Yeah, this is this is one of those like PTSD is for pussies kind of books. This, <laughs> pe- I don't think people yeah. in this actually get PTSD. If if you'll allow me, um, there there is one line um, that 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 especially killed me because it it, it further um, 
oh gosh, I can't find it at the moment. I thought I had it here where it was basically saying that um, all of these students watching uh, their their friends being murdered in front of them was a macroaggression and oh, these so special no, they snow. They actually say microaggression, don't they? Oh, does they, it? They this, yeah, the terrorist attack is characterized as a microaggression, which uh, I don't know if that's a quite how that word is used. But watching watching your friends be murdered in front of you in a ostensibly a terrorist attack, uh, I could understand how that could possibly affect someone's mental health. Fortunately, J. A. Johnstone, uh, big, tough, big cocked American man, uh, has never had to uh, deal with any emotional fallout from anything that's ever happened to him. So uh, that kind of thing, bullshit, total bullshit. He's, he's a weak not person. scared of dying. It doesn't matter that he's seventy, uh, that he's twenty something. He is not scared of dying. <laughs> <laughs> and neither is the the bad guy. And the bad guy in this is probably the worst bad guy I've ever seen in fiction. I mean, like it's Han, not Hans Gruber was like charming and suave and learned and he had a backstory where he was like a, a right-wing terrorist but actually he was after the money and Hans Gruber is a classic villain but um, Matthias Foster is a guy who lives in his apartment with his girlfriend and has a bunch of his friends over for beers like a few cold ones with the boys <laughs> then somehow he's able to gather enough like ex-special forces who are also Antifa to assault and occupy a library. It's like, he doesn't... He's not, like, rich, or he's not, like, trained in guerrilla warfare. He's just some dude. He's like, it's like if I decided to be a terrorist. A cool plot point in this is that... Uh, <laughs> Ken, is it Kenyon College? No, that's actual college. Yeah. It's a fake yeah. college. Uh, um, uh, whatever, Kenlon is what we're going to... Kenton, yeah. Uh, Kenton College is a uh, private school, which is an important plot point because in Texas, you are legally allowed to bring guns with you to school at public universities. Like I went to UT, the University of Texas, uh, and you can bring your gun to class with you if you so choose. Now, legally, um, you cannot do it at private schools because they operate under different laws. So the, the idea behind this was that uh, the, the private schools... Uh, we're promoting tyranny because you can't bring your your uh, six hour with you to an economics lecture, uh, and that thus made them open to uh, this this terrorist attack. It's worth noting that uh, maybe the the biggest crime event that's ever happened in this town is uh, Charles Whitman climbing up the University of Texas tower in the '60s and just picking people off with a sniper rifle. Uh, back big. back in that back in that those days, like nobody really gave a shit. It was Texas. Uh, you, so all the students were basically running out to their cars and picking up their rifles and like taking pot shots at the tower. Uh, none of them hit him. <laughs> it was just loose bullets flying everywhere and <laughs> massive danger to everyone. What actually happened was finally a cop was able to get up to the top of the tower and then uh, shoot Whitman in the back of the head. Uh, so it, it's, it's weird to me considering how many kids died because some dude brought his gun to school and how many armed students were unable to do anything about it. That This is still just bafflingly a thing that people talk it's, about. It's such a mystery to me in a certain way because, um, I have like the 
uh, the furthest north one half of my family got was South Carolina. Um, so I, I have a lot of, and the other half are like northern hunting types. So I grew up around guns. I'm, I'm comfortable around them. I, yeah, obviously I feel like some kind of gun control would be good, yada, 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 normal leftist talking points there. But as a result, even, even decent people, even decent people who grow up around them, uh, know that like the first rule of any kind of gun is that you don't treat it flippantly like a toy and you don't treat yourself like a fucking hero because of one, a mistake with this thing can kill somebody. Uh, and that's not normally the case for most things in your life uh, where it's not like, Oh, I dropped the scissors in the kitchen. Now my child is dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I blew their brains out. Uh, and the other thing is precisely what you brought up is that, if you've spent time at a range, the notion, and that's where the, one of the most laughable bits is the kid having like uh, just perfect range or perfect accuracy shooting with his grandpa, even though he hasn't shot this type of gun in years. Uh, and he's just taken targets down is that the act of shooting and shooting well in an accurate, safe contained way is takes an immense amount of focus and is very difficult. And stress complicates that a lot. I mean, and this is also the mystery of the person who wrote it. One of the big things they train you for in the military is how to handle firing under stress. Because the accuracy rate of, like, trained soldiers is south of 50 Hmm. in terms of percentage. Yeah, I think um, I remember hearing that um, it took, like, 2 million rounds fired for each Viet Cong soldier killed in Vietnam. It takes yeah, it's it's immensely difficult to actually do. And so when people start bringing up rhetoric of like, we all need to bring our guns because then it's just the law. But it's like, no, the reason why we have a response force is because they're going to be more collected than people in that frantic position and can be specially trained to do this kind of thing. It's exactly the same logic as having like firefighters, at least in theory. Um, there's a reason why, nor- like, do we think normal people are able to be like, if there's a fire in my house, I gotta have my fire axe so that I can knock down the door, run in, collect the children, and bravely run out. And it's like, you can't do that. You you are an IT manager. You're out of shape. <laughs> Would probably be a, in a better situation as a country if everybody was fully prepared to fire a man carry anybody out of a burning building. That would be lit, to be fair. That would be a very safe America. But, you know, I don't want to say it, but you guys kind of, uh, as a country, a little on the big side. So, yeah, that's um, the thing. It's it's not that a well-armed society is a polite society. It's that a swole society is a polite society. If absolutely. everybody's jacked, if everybody's jacked, man, you know, everything's going to be cool. Everybody's watching out for each other. Everybody's flexing in the mirror. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah. You could just Everyone's get like, someone to spot you through life. <laughs> Everyone's just like complimenting each other's form and doing things in a really uh, smooth way, and yeah, it'll it, be a better world. We always, we always do the flat palm clap right in front of your pecs. Yeah. Damn right. Everybody, everybody's there to be your spot, bro. We're we're all wo- looking out for each other. We're all going to help you lift that heavy load. And you know, there was someone who um, created that idea a long time ago, uh, not too far away from where I am now. Uh, two uh, two bros who spotted each other through lifting 
the weight of the proletariat. They were named Marx and Engels. <laughs> yeah. The proletariat, of course. They, yeah, the proletariat. They, they, They're right. They did. They did write that in uh, in in Britain. They did. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, Engel, Engels was from uh, Manchester, not too far from where I am. I uh, I quite like um, so as uh, uh, because fuck this book. Um, I do <laughs> quite like uh, that something that's uh, widely available now are the collection of uh, journalistic writings that Karl Marx did when he was working for like, the Times um, and do, uh, being a journalist in London and things like that. Because um, you can you can see a lot of the early seeds of where his thoughts would be and why he turned to Engels uh, specifically as a friend that he made during that time period is like, I've been seeing some stuff and I want to think over some ideas with you. It's uh, because it's exactly the same kind of stuff that you'd imagine would radicalize someone now, or it's like, I watched a child die of black lung and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that seems, you know, it was weird, you know, I get to watch a child die of having too much coal soot in their lungs I feel like children shouldn't have any coal set in their lungs. And Engels is like, hmm, you know, I agree. <laughs> yeah, speak on that, brother. Go off, King. <laughs> <laughs> Let me spot that weight for you. <laughs> yeah, they were just two bros, swole as fuck, and uh, yeah, they created a big, heavy tome called the Manifesto. Um what I love about communism is that if you uh, if you look at our manifesto, it's um, we're necromancers. Just trying. Oh to yeah. Work. All those specters. Yeah. Gothic Marxism, man. We're all yeah. about it. Uh, I, I, it's it's good, and it, it. So I didn't have any kind of. Uh, Marxist indoctrination when I went to college. And it's a shame because, like, I, I've kind of come to this stuff a little bit later in my life than I think others do. Uh, but I would have loved that shit. I would have loved if I had a professor tell me, like, yo, dude, like, sit down, let me tell you what's up uh, about this cool dude named Carl. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, so it literally I, I went I, to I went to a college, I went to an American college, actually. And the literal um, college motto was atheism, communism, and free love. But like, if, like the professors were just into postmodernism by that point, and there was when I could actually understand what they were saying, it wasn't particularly useful. I would have loved them to just sit sit me down and like go through like this incredibly important topic with me. But, I, yeah, I, they I, don't do that. I wound up having just a friend in college who. Um for various reasons that are very, very American, wound up uh, not being able to go to college. Um, and as a result, um, just read a lot, like had a lot of spare time, just got a job, read a ton, came smart as shit because if we're honest, a lot of what you're paying for in college, not even to knock it, is a because there's a lot of books out there. You're paying for an expert to have gone through them and go, these are the books you should read. Um, and then also to be accessible in order to answer questions or help break down concepts for you, things like that. Um, and so he just got similar reading lists like that, and he wound up nabbing like uh, uh, Shock Doctrine. He nabbed uh, Late Victorian Holocausts. He nabbed King Leopold's Ghost. He nabbed... Um, 
the big fan, Wretched of the Earth, uh, just just started digging into it by just picking up the books and reading through them, and then he passed them on to me. Um, yeah, and it was mysterious to then go into classes, and a lot of that stuff wouldn't come up, or they'd more or less go, that's for grad students and higher uh, to start really digging into that. We don't really leap into that kind of stuff really early because it, it is sometimes very hard to wrap your head around um, how badly we are taught the shape of the world. Like it requires unlearning almost everything and then relearning all of it again. Uh, and then to run into someone being like every college makes you hate Jesus. <laughs> like, and I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, the, the, uh, the right-wing obsession with college campuses is utterly, as I think we've mentioned, is totally out of whack with how much people actually are affected by their college years and how much colleges are actually in any way left-wing, which they're not. Oh. And, yeah, it's... um, it's. I, I think they're... Right wings are aware that they've won the war, but they've lost the culture battle, and they they are so insecure that they need to win the culture battle as well, and so they need colleges to to not be the last tiny insignificant holdouts of nominally leftist thoughts in the world. I mean, they're doing a hell. They're doing a hell of a job. You've got uh, really fucking badass dudes like Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro that are like <laughs> showing the youth of America that it's cool for to be a capitalist. It's cool to be a virgin until you get married. Like it's cool to shit your pants in a diaper to trigger the libs. <laughs> it's worth noting that how cool all of them are, which is very cool. They're the most cool that you can get. No, oh. no way to be cooler. Actually, uh, wearing a diaper, uh, cool. Just it's cool, baby. It's yeah, five four, cool. <laughs> That's yeah. it's good. As it was said in uh, Billy Madison, if uh, shitting your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've never laughed at anything related to um, Adam Sandler, but I, I like that. That's yeah. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm gonna have to reassess uh, Adam Sandler's oeuvre now. But I know it's good. I, I feel I feel not to, because this is about books and smart people shit and not the dumb things that I like. I feel pretty strongly about Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, and even Little Nicky. I feel like those yes, were that's pretty good. The three. Those are the three good Adam Sandler movies. That's all. What, what about Punch Drunk Love? Everyone, everyone's always talking that about that. Doesn't Punch count Love. because that's that's more a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that has Adam Sandler in it. You'll know what I mean if you watch it. You'll be like, "This is not an Adam Sandler movie. He's just in it for most of it." I, I didn't see that one because it came out when I was a kid, uh, and I saw the trailer, and it didn't seem like there were any fart boners, so I just I wanted to skip it. <laughs> that's that's fair. There are, there were a distinct lackage of fart boners. But, um, and then out of nowhere, within this book, just drops up out of nowhere, the guy's sexual and gender politics are okay. They're not, they're not great, but he says at one point, so he brings up the alphabet, or, uh, alphabet soup of, um, of or the, the thought that the queer acronym is uh, an alphabet. 
alphabet soup. And so you gird yourself. You're like, oh, God, he's going to do this now. And then he, he ends that paragraph by going, so clearly the character is a self-insert character. It's very fucking obvious uh, oh, very yeah. early. Big time. We're going to talk goes, about that in a second. Cause like, oh, but I uh, honestly, Jake doesn't care what people are into so long as it doesn't involve force, coercion, or kids. And you're like, okay, trepidatious, but that may just be you're just a libertarian fucking old guy. He refers to someone like within the next paragraph as a trans beauty queen of color. And you're like, Which would be the accurate way of saying that, yeah. Yeah, you, you're like, wait a second, like... whoa, wait, wait. And you're like, you're looking and you're like, when's this going to turn on me? No, he changes topic next paragraph. And you're like, wait, wait, what? Like, that was yeah, I'm, very I'm not, respectful. I'm not willing here. to give him the benefit of that. I, I think that was intended as an own, but it backfired because he just somehow managed to look up a what the right thing to say would be as mm-hmm. opposed to what to the insult he was aiming for. Yeah, I uh, it it reads so just like actually respectful that it does it did not register in my brain as he might be trying to own people like me right now by saying that. Or not like <laughs> as in leftist, but obviously he'd be owning uh, trans women of color, but um which I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can can we discuss the um, the, the Muslim the sexu- uh, Well, I, that Muslim that student. too. I was just think, thinking about the sexual dynamic between Jake and uh, this lady professor that's only a couple of years older than him, because uh, every bit of dialogue between them is excruciating because yeah. they're flirting. They're flirting it entirely de- devolves around. Uh, making fun of the student manual that uh, basically asks students to treat each other respectfully and to maintain boundaries. So ev- they're they're constantly flirting by making fun of this thing, and it's just essentially like, oh, I don't want to to offend your autonomy, and uh, I'm going to microaggress my way to those back walls, and it's just it's <laughs> fucking awful. Oh yeah, th- th- this is the least erotic flirting I've, I've probably ever seen. It's, and it, it's made even worse by the fact that Jake is just such an asshole. And <laughs> every, every single thing he, that comes out of his mouth is a insult against someone. It, as, apart from that one thing where he gets the beauty queen thing kind of right by accident. He, he only ever says these like catty, bitchy little comments about people. And it, every single one of his um, interactions is a, well, needless to say, I had the last laugh kind of story that you, you'd see on like a, a Reddit forum of oh, people yeah. owning, their, owning their lib professors and they're bound to be either completely fabricated or stuff that the uh, writer thought of when like a few hours later that would have been such a perfect thing to say if only they'd thought of it at a time and not been like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I uh, was talking about, um, throwing the liberals out of helicopter in, in class. I won't do it ever again. Well, th- I guess this is Marine Todd, the novel. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it... <laughs> I guess sorry, I, the novel I, to someone and they brought up like, so is this a novelization of the Marine Todd story? And I was like, I thought for a second, I went, yeah. it is. 
I didn't yeah, think of it's, that, but it is. It's Marine Todd meets Die Hard, and with pacing issues, and then suddenly a um, super badass operator uh, comes in and cleans up the whole mess for everyone. Which is another uh, like, I'm talking about Dog, the bounty hunter. <laughs> it's yeah. just like the most misconceived character in the whole thing because he okay so dog is a badass uh, special operator who the government calls on to um clean up its dirty work and occasionally dog also does vigilante stuff and he drives around in a truck because he's really working class mm-hmm. but and the fbi are all you mean dogs here it's like that he's like uh, Casey Ryback in Under Siege. Casey Ryback's on that train, that <laughs> kind of thing, you know. It, and Dog just like kills, uh, I think, like sixteen of the bad guys, single-handed. And it's like he therefore... got bored of his own self-insert character and made a new self-insert character. And ah, but it's not, it's not a self-insert copy. character. I, I, my theory is that is. Dog is William W. Johnstone. It's it's an uncle insert character. Yeah, I can He's, see it. Because <laughs> uh, I did my research. Uh, William uh, Wallace Johnstone's favorite book that he of his own was Last of the Dog Team, and in all his pictures, he's pictured with dogs. Oh. I think dog was a a tribute to the late uh, William W. Johnstone by his ungrateful uh, wretch of a failed nephew. Uh, th- I get it. No, that totally makes sense. Uh, I, initially, I initially thought... a lot of sense. I initially thought that the uh, billionaire grandfather benefactor was going to be a stand-in for his uncle who's clearly, like, paved his way his entire life. <laughs> but that makes, a lo- that makes a lot more sense. Well, his uncle I, I think, can take many both. forms. Yeah, That's his true. His uncle is like a ghost haunting... This- uh, the writer of this story, William Wallace Johnston, is the ghost that also haunts this novel. He's it's... sad that his uncle is dead, and uh, he's scared that he too will be dead, and that like his uncle, he'll simply cease to be. So someone has to take over the, the Johnston legacy, and I think it should be me. <laughs> I think I, I am um, well-versed in uh, the politically correct camps, campus culture, through having gone to Reed College, which is the nearest thing you're actually going to get to one of these places. And, um, yeah, I, c- I could keep going in the um, the Jake Rivers and Dog extended universe. Um, do you have what it takes to shit out 10,000 words a day? Uh, <laughs> probably. I mean, yeah, I, c- I can get out of all prescription. I can talk my way into that. So probably, yeah, I could write 200 novels. I mean, it took me 10 years to do my last one, but, you know, I could uh, I could up the pace. It okay. took 10 years for one, and now you're going to do one in 10 days. So you're just yep. going to... Exactly, yeah. I, I learned everything I need to know, and now I can write 200 terrible um, novels about Jake Rivers and Dog, like, writing wrongs of the liberal world. I'm going to be honest. If they turned this into a franchise... so. We talked about this a little bit before, but I'm strongly of the opinion that this book could be absolutely fucking riveting 
if they turned it into a franchise and changed the main character to all of the bad guys who were all lit as hell. <laughs> if there was a picaresque following uh the so they'd have to resurrect him through super science, but the uh the the evil campus uh man who kept paying for uh, special ops to come onto the campus for uh reasons, certainly. Certainly there was a reason. Um and it's just a picaresque of uh, campus-level Antifa uh, beating up campus fascists. I would read that. I would read yeah. this series of books. That's a, that's a good, good ass story. It'd be like Jim Butcher, but for someone who can read. Yeah, and you know, uh, you got the campus novel kind of things. You've got the the political side of things. You bring together, and people like. You know, I, I want to go to the school dance, but I've also got to beat up someone who um, asked to touch a black person's hair. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, um... There's a little something for everyone. Yeah, in the I would, um, extended universe. I, I would like a, a series of novels devoted to uh, Moammar Farid. I, th- I think that that's uh, a character that should be explored further in depth. Oh, the, uh, um, yes, the... Uh, Muslim character who um, fantasizes about raping all the white women and instantly, as soon as he sees terrorists, decides he wants to join them. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, as I was reading this, and, you know, it, clearly the, the book references Die Hard. I, just, I imagined, uh, God, who was the, the stockbroker that was, like, snorting cocaine and, like, oh, trying yeah. to ingratiate? I, I don't know his name, but, um, yeah, he's, yeah, I, I know the guy. He's trying to ingratiate himself with, uh, with Hans, like, immediately. And yeah, yeah it's that guy, book. except that he's okay. except that he's a some kind of horrifically racist caricature of a Muslim person that just clearly is this malevolent force for evil. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Lang said earlier, there's occasional things where he's trying to pers- uh, portray the like almost noble side of conservatism. You know, like I'll leave you alone to live your life; you leave me alone, and we'll all just respect each other. That's like ninety percent of it, but then, but then it's literally all Muslims are constantly fantasizing about raping white women, and they want to be terrorists and establish a caliphate in West Texas. Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. I, it, I keep yeah. reading it. I'm like, dude, you picked the wrong main character. I think all of your bad guys are lit, aside from the fantasizing about. Uh, sexual misconduct, that's rude and racist of you, but uh, just a few snips, and all of a sudden, we've got the most badass crew for a picaresque. Yeah. It's, it's diverse, uh, there's all these, like, girls with pink hair you can have as background characters. So, I think in summation, Trigger Warning is quite bad yeah. as a book. Agreed. It's, Structurally, I mean, uh, cons- you know, in the actual construction of the sentences, the use of cliches, uh, the politics of it, uh, the really people bad. behind it. Terrible. Just not, none of it's good. All of it's the bad cover, or not good. The cover is bad, which is an additional like, – it, it's, it's flippant of me to bring up. But like, you, you know, a well-designed cover can really – for a record, for a book, for a film, can really bring that last aesthetic touch that acts like the shell that contains it. And the cover looks like a bloody asshole. 
<laughs> which it does. It, uh, is I'm going to add some little hands on the left and right side of that. <laughs> nice. You know how you can look at a book, bu- you're told to not judge things by their covers, but then you look at some things and you go, it has to be bad though, right? This is a case where judging by the cover is actually perfectly accurate. Yeah, and you can tell they actually, if you look at his other books, they're all very uh, like supermarket checkout cowboy books. And they'll have like a painting of the characters doing something and it will look terrible. And the characters will all look like they have way too many chromosomes because the artist <laughs> is terrible. But uh, in this, you can tell they were, they were kind of aiming for a bit of a, um, in his first foray into like politics in books, they were kind of aiming for the, a little bit more class. That you, like, if you put this amongst some, um, even, like, okay literary fiction, you, you wouldn't, like, pick it out as a piece of shit, um, mass-produced paper, dime store paperback, which it is. He's kind of kind of camouflaging it amongst better and more uh, legitimate books. Hopefully to try and, like, find at least an audience for this. Which he won't, because he writes other books like The Doomsday Bunker, Black Friday, Tyranny, Stand Your Ground, Suicide Mission, The Bleeding Edge, The Blood of Patriots, and other um, Five Finger Death Punch uh, songs. <laughs> okay, oh, Black, Friday, Black Friday looks lit as fuck, though. Um, the, the description oh, is that one of the like... ones in the, in the back of this book? There's like four or yeah. five? Yeah, it says uh, yeah, were... the Amer- American Way Mall is packed with holiday shoppers. Machine gun rings out, and with minutes of the attack, hundreds are dead and dying. Others are taken hostage by an army of fanatical Middle Eastern terrorists ready to blast the American Way Mall to rubble. But one man, Iraq War vet Toby Lanning, refuses to go down with a fi- without a fight. These brave, everyday Americans will stand up and meet the enemy face-to-face, defend their land, their values, their honor, and if necessary, pay the ultimate price to freedom. So it's like this, but instead of Die Hard, it's Paul Bart Blart Mall Cop. Yes. Or it could be like a Dawn of the Dead, but it's all in a mall. It is Paul Blart Mall Cop. Paul Blart Mall of the Dead Cop. Paul Blart Dead Cops. Paul Blart... (laughs) 439 million dead cops. World is a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It it took some working, but we got there. Uh, This man I hate uh, not as much as Brian Herbert, the uh, awful, awful son of Frank Herbert, uh, who, if is listening, Brian, I hope that you die. Um, (laughs) Harsh but fair. You're bad. Uh, you're a bad man. You're a bad man, Brian. And I hope that you die. Uh, I'm not going to do it. God's going to do it. God's going to kill all of us someday. And God's going to kill you. And that's going to be pretty good to me. This man isn't as bad as that guy. Because I love Dune. And Brian is trying to ruin Dune. He's trying and failing to ruin Dune. Uh uh, J.A. Johnstone is trying and failing to ruin his racist-ass uh, grandpa novels of his uncle uh, by being a racist-ass grandpa in the modern day, which is bad and uh, a confusing career choice. 
how how weirdly egoless is it to erase yourself utterly in your life's work by renaming everything you do after a dead uncle you have? Hmm. How also, self-hating do you have to be to do that? I think if he um, has read his own work, then he would come to the conclusion that he deserves to be deleted from yeah. history. Like, technically, I didn't write that, so I feel fine now. <laughs> I... I channeled Christianly uh, my dead, awful uncle. <laughs> I arranged I arranged racial slurs in the shape of a pentagram and summoned his spirit with a cowboy hat in the middle. <laughs> oh, I don't need anyone to laugh at that joke but me. That was a good joke. <laughs> I nailed on that, that joke. <laughs> on that note... So let's play some uh, some metals, some a little bit of metal from uh, a new release from Dow, who have put out like seven albums this year, and they're all brilliant, even the kind of acoustic one. And they're an amazing band, and they've worked with the Body, and everyone's worked with the Body, I know, whatever. But um, Dow, yeah, Dow, uh, and they're very good politically. Yeah. They make. They make some very um, righteous T-shirts that um, anyone would be proud to have in their body. And if um, Jay Johnstone was a little smarter and a bit more clued in, he would have probably mentioned that like four out of five of the Antifa super soldiers would be wearing Dow T-shirts. And uh, just because yeah, that's the official uniform of being cool and woke in 2018. And um, so we're going to play The Only Law of... Uh, Rhea Sylvia, and if you want more metal than we could possibly provide, then go listen to Toilet of Hell. Wouldn't you say yeah. so, Joe? Yeah, man. Um, we have a website, too, where I wrote a, write about dumb shit uh, all the time. Uh, yeah. So check out the blog and listen to the podcast if you, uh, if you like metal and uh, are also irony-poisoned. Yeah. And he's, he, it's not just Joe. It does um, 365 Days of Horror, and I'm, I'm going to try and do it like, like you do it. Brennocide. <laughs> is that very good? good? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, very good. You. <laughs> yeah. How do you normally say it? That's just how you would say that. Uh, I, I like to do uh, ridiculous uh, death metal growls to say his name because he has such a cool name. Oh, like... Brennocide. Like that? Brennocide. Yeah. All right. Brennocide. That's tight. See, we're um, all doing death metal growls now. Yeah, it's, it's good. We're all having fun doing death metal growls. I do this again. Sorry, what is that? Side. There, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, was, that was like really brutal, like yeah. early death metal kind of as it was going for there. Make sure watch out. Yeah. So, head. yeah. So listen to Dow and uh, don't read any William Johnstone books. Don't and read them. Yeah, and if you read them, I'll fight you. Yeah, we'll that's my promise. You. I'll go to where you are, and I'll beat the shit out of you. That's a promise. Yeah, it's and, just um, that you can't stop me. Come back next week because we got another campus novel. Woo! But this oh, one's God. not shit. It's oh. a good novel. Yeah. What like if the, the last novel we read was good? Yeah, and it's good. <laughs> and it's also got a campus-based terrorist group. Uh, except that these guys are, like, way into North Korea. 
So they're like proper tankies. Yeah. Instead of these weird fake ones. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be... Re- fire calling you out, internet tankies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't at me. <laughs> yeah, I, I say no... It- fine. <laughs> knowing that they can't possibly stop themselves from acting people. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we're going to be bringing that next week. And after that, we're going to go into the world of Dune, which I have never read. And I'm going to finally sit down and read Dune, and we're going to talk about it. And hopefully I won't say really dumb stuff about it. Or I'm, maybe I'll just watch the film. I'm going to be... <laughs> The film is really good. I'm going to straight up defend David Lynch's Dune. That movie is a fucking excellent movie. That's it. That's my whole thoughts. Cool. (laughs) Come back next week week for that. And uh, in the meantime, listen to some Dow.